It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We're going to play old school football. JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome back, JT, with you as we kick off our number two broadcast to you by Remy Martin. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. Raise your cocktail game. Remy Martin's also going to be involved on the strip with various great viewing parties. For the draft, the big one will be over at the M. You can go to the M and go check out the Raiders Tavern and Grill, and Remy Martin will be there with their beautiful view of the pool, their private room, and their bar in the back right there inside the Raiders Tavern and Grill. Remy Martin, raise your cocktail game. Have a great night with the first round, the second round on Friday, and everything that we have lined up with our good friends at Remy Martin. I want to get into the Raiders pick. We're looking for everyone, everyone to give us the pick. Whoever you are in the Raider Nation, it's time to put up. Who do you got? Who's going number 17? Who do you think will be available for the Raiders? Give us a deep dive on what the Raiders need with that pick. It could be the type of phone call that could tell us about everything, what you think the Raiders need to do, what's their weakness, what player specifically could help tighten this roster up heading into the offseason. The reason I've been so high on Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State, is if the Raiders are able to get him, then the Raiders will have Yannick Ngakwe, Cleland Farrell. They'll have Mad Max Crosby, Solomon Thomas, Jonathan Hankins, David Irving, Quinton Jefferson, Darius Vylon, Kendall Vickers, everybody who they brought in, that'll be pretty. That's a really good defensive line with some upside. One of those guys is going to pop. It's either going to be Solomon Thomas or Cleveland Farrell. He's going to have a big year, and they're going to have a really big year, and I'm expecting Max Crosby only to get better and Yannick Ngakwe to play at a Pro Bowl level. So with everything I just mentioned there, if the Raiders can put a linebacker behind them that can go sideline to sideline and make plays and be a beast, That'd be a hell of an offseason. But we also know that the Raiders need a right tackle. Do they need a right tackle desperately? Well, that's open to discussion. A lot of people think, yeah. A lot of draft analysts think that the strength of the Raiders was the offensive line. I disagree. I think I know the Raiders' offensive line better than guys who sit on NFL Network that don't work for the team and cover the team like I do. I think the Raider offensive line has been unavailable. they got a great coach in Tom Gable. And he does the best he can with the guys he has. But with COVID last year and the injuries and the inability to put a starting offensive line out there, if you give him some backups and try to get Tom Cable to get those backups to be better, I think he can do it. I think he can pull that off. And that'll be very important going forward. So with all of this, we're trying to figure out what the Raiders do at number 17. And I want your pick at number 17. Just call in the next two shows. JT, that's the direction we're going with at 702-365-9200. Connor Rogers, kind enough to join us from Bleacher Report, great NFL draft analyst who's been mocking it up now for well over a couple of months here, getting us ready for Thursday night. Connor, good to talk to you again. How you feeling with your analysis, especially with all these quarterbacks going early in the first round? JT, what's up, man? Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for. You know, with the Niners, it seems like it's down to Trey Lance and Mac Jones. Now the question we're waiting on is, you know, how far will a, how far will a guy like Justin Fields fall? 
Will Miami trade again? Do the Lions get their wish and get out of pick seven? Uh, does Atlanta surprise everyone and take a quarterback? It's going to be really, really crazy right out of the gate with these first ten picks on Thursday night. What are you hearing about Trey Lance with the Niners? Was it the personal workout, the second one, just blowing away Kyle Shanahan where he could be having second thoughts on Mac Jones? Yeah, and I also think it's the person, the leader. He's gotten to spend time around the actual guy himself and realize that this guy is really smart. This guy can execute anything I ask of him, and this guy's development uh, you know, curve has been overblown. I think that, of course, you're talking about somebody that played one year of FCS ball at 19 years old, dominated, but then did not get a, a fall season this year. And you have to wonder, what is the learning curve there? I think he only attempted 319 passes in his college career, which is extremely, extremely low. So you look at it, there are questions around then, but when you're actually around Trey Lance, you realize he's a bright guy, a great leader, all the talent in the world, a lot more physical talent than Mac Jones, and that's what's made this a much more difficult decision. With that being said, then why is everybody sold on Zach Wilson to the Jets? With everything you just said, what am I missing with Zach Wilson? What is so special about him that he jumps ahead of Justin Fields and jumps ahead of Trey Lance and especially Mac Jones? How do you analyze his play? It's interesting, right? You look at it and you see what Zach Wilson does best. I think it's the timing. It's the release of the ball, the lightning quick mechanics, and the vertical placement on deep passes and the athlete. So I think with Zach Wilson, they just like him as a fit for their offense. Mike LaFleur has been with Kyle Shanahan most of his career. They're going to try to have a lot of the same concepts as the 49ers. I can tell you right now, JT, if the Niners could have their way, they would have gotten up to number two and taken Zach Wilson. They just don't have the opportunity. They couldn't get into that pick. The Jets, everybody knows that the Jets are going to take him. So I think it's the arm talent. Another guy that is very, very well-liked off of the field. A lot of people uh, believe in his, his IQ, his, his training, his work ethic. But the on-field talent has really gone up to another level. He was finally healthy this year and just flat-out dominated. And it's the ability to play in and out of the pocket. It's the feel in the pocket for pressure. Not a lot of holding on to the ball way, way too long. So they're sold on him. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because it absolutely is a bold decision. But he's a special player as well. Uh, Connor Rogers is our guest. Bleacher Report. Let's go to the offensive line. How far do you have Penny Sewell dropping? Do you have him going past Cincinnati at five? I do, and I think it creates an interesting situation for the Dolphins now. They're, they probably thought moving to six, they would get one of Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. There's a chance that they don't. And if those guys are gone, if they go four and then number five, Falcons and Bengals, well, they just moved Eric Flowers. They're going to kick Robert Hunt inside to guard. Then Penny Sewell can come in and play right away, or Rashawn Slater, whichever one they like. So, the fall should not be that drastic, even if it's by Miami and the Lions don't want to take one of those guys. The Lions will trade the pick. I can see the Chargers coming up for them. The Giants don't move, but the Giants at 11 kind of seem like the floor, right? Those guys can't make it past the Giants with their offensive line needs. So while those players, especially Sewell, who I think is the second-best overall player in the entire class, warrant being top-five picks, it doesn't seem like they're going to fall out of the top ten. Where do you stand on Jalen Waddle versus Devontae Smith, both from Alabama? Who do you like more? I like Waddle better. I value the speed, and I just think that if, without that injury, we would be talking about Jalen Waddle as potentially you know, the 1B to Jamar Chase's 1A in this class. But he had a significant injury that cost him a lot of time. And he, JT, he's the closest thing to Tyree Kill that I've seen coming out of the draft. That kind of speed 
on the field speed, not track speed, on the field in pads, uh, changing gears, the ability to never really lose stride in and out of his routes, getting off the line of scrimmage and going from zero to 120. Jalen Waddell has rare game-changing home run speed. He's got very, very good catch and run speed as well, just to take the ball upfield and make a guy miss and go. I like Devontae Smith a lot, but I value Jalen Waddell a lot more. I just think you can't teach that type of skill set. And it's been quiet, quietly talked about, but he catches everything in his way. A lot of these burners coming out have problems tracking the ball and concentration problems. Jalen Waddell does not have that. Connor Rogers joins us. Great insight on the draft coming up on Thursday. Check out everything that he has at Connor J. Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S. I want to move to the defensive ends. Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, Greg Rousseau. Some of the guys who have opted out that are opting in now play with fast motors coming off the edge. Every edge rusher does that. It seems like there's only about two or three that are at the super elite level, and then there's a bunch of guys and depth at this position where maybe you can get a really good player in the third, fourth, fifth round. What do you think of this defensive lineman class? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think it's going to be Quiddy Pay in the first round. It kind of seems like his floor is the Jets at 23. Uh, Jalen Phillips can go as early as the top 10. It wouldn't shock me if we saw him sneak into the top 10. He can go to the Giants at 11. Uh, he, there's a lot of spots he can go. Teams are just going to have to make sure they're okay with his medicals. He, he had to medically retire from football after his career at UCLA and then came back and dominated for Miami. So Pay and Phillips are the two guys I feel good about in round one. Aziz Ojolari might be the guy that sneaks in. I can see the Dolphins being interested in him. Once again, I can see the Jets being interested in him. The Colts need an edge rusher. That's an interesting matchup and fit as well. I don't think Rousseau makes it. Jason Owe from Penn State is a guy that can sneak into the back end of round one. And then you get into this day two group where you have Peyton Turner from Houston is a really, really nice player. I could see him in round two for a team like Dallas. It wouldn't shock me if the Raiders even look to reinforce their edge pass rush group. I know they signed Yannick Ngakwe, and I know they have Max Crosby, who's a really good player. But just to get that long-term guy across from Max, maybe they take a swing at one of these guys. Tulane has two good players, Camp Sample and Patrick Johnson. They can go in the top 100 picks. It's a not the most top-heavy edge talent class, JT, but, man, it's, it's deep. It, there's going to be a lot of names that come off the board in the top 100. The last guy... I can sneak into round one is Joe Tryon from Washington, a opt-out from this season. Who's better, Patrick Sertain II or J.C. Horn? I think Sertain's safer and right now better. J.C. Horn, though, can be a star. He just has to shake that constant getting a little too grabby beyond five to ten yards. Once he, he gets better at not doing that as much, he's got the athleticism, he's got the ball skills. He's got the size and length to be a superstar in man coverage, something that's not easy to do at the NFL level. But with Sertain, I just don't have a lot of question marks, right? There's a couple of times where he gets beat vertically down the field. I know he lost a, a tough rep to Josh Palmer from Tennessee for a touchdown that opened some eyes. But he's so tough at the line of scrimmage, great downhill and run support, plays really, really well with his hands at the line of scrimmage, uh, stays in the hip pocket of receivers. I think Sertain will be the first one off the board, but I think J.C. Horn goes right after him. All right, final big questions here. Do the Patriots trade up? Do the Patriots and Bill Belichick, who never do it, do they trade up to number seven with Detroit or get up there in the top ten to get a quarterback? I think it's possible. I think that when you look at it, it depends who they like that falls into that range. Now, 
it's probably going to be Trey Lance or Justin Fields, most likely, that make it that far. The problem we have is I think Miami would move out of six. Miami's not going to do business with New England. So does New England get beat to the punch? That's the question everyone has. But keep an eye on number seven or number eight for New England to come up for Lancer Fields. That would not surprise me at all. They spent all this money in free agency. They don't have as much needs as most teams. They can mortgage a lot of their future picks to go up and get their quarterback. It's a plan that makes way too much sense for me. What are you putting your name on? What is the biggest shocker of the first round of the NFL draft? Oh, man, that is a great question. Biggest shocker in this draft. I think when you look at it, something that a lot of people aren't talking about, I think the running backs have gained a lot of value just because they, there's not a lot after them. It's not a deep running back class. I think Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are locks for the first round where we might see teams moving up to go get them. Everybody thinks Najee's going to 24 to the Steelers. ETN won't make it past the Bills. Maybe teams start to trade up into the early 20s or late teens for running backs. That's something that's frowned upon and unheard of at this point. And the closer we get to the draft, that's something I hear more and more. And it really is eye-opening. I think the other shocker is, and it, wouldn't, it shouldn't be too shocking because of his back injuries, but at the time, Caleb Farley was looked at as a top eight pick in this draft. I don't think he sneaks into round one on Thursday night. Wow, that is bold because he's – I thought he would probably be the third or fourth player taken at that position, but you're right, possibly the end of the first round or into the second round. Great work, Connor. Really respect your work, and I look forward to talking to you again to recap this down the road. Thanks so much for having me, JT. Always good to talk to you, man. You got it. Connor Rogers, great to talk to him from Bleacher Report. NFL draft analyst, does a lot of uh, podcasts too, and I, I, don't, I think we put everybody on. We have Peter King. I don't know of anybody we haven't had on yet. There's a couple of guys, Charles Charles Davis, who put out his mock draft. Charles Davis, who does a really good job as a broadcaster. And I go back with him a couple of years, uh, trying to get him on here in the next couple of days. We've also got Charlie Weiss coming up, uh, Jim Mora Jr. So there's some really good draft analysts I'm trying to get on here as we're limited for time. And I'm trying to get you on the radio to get you up here to make your picks, to get a feel. Rhett Lewis of NFL.com is also really good at this, and he put out his mock draft the other day, and I saved it here in my folder, and he has the Raiders at number 17 taking Quiddy Pay, the Michigan edge rusher. He said Raiders GM Mike Mayock is itchy to get more twitchy off the edge. Terrible play on words aside, Pay fits the bill as a freak athlete with the ability to wreak havoc in opposing backfields I know Vegas Inc. Yannick Ngakwe in free agency, but why not take a couple of shots to fill in the void that they've had ever since the Camille, uh, Khalil Mack trade? Now, Khalil Mack comes up every time this year. Every time this year. Triple Eight, Mad Dog Six. Let's keep it going. Teddy in Vegas. She's... Yes, Bobby? I'm sorry. I said Mad Dog. I'm working Mad Dog tonight. Thanks for the update. Hey couple days off of the throat i'm a little bit off here let's get to teddy in vegas on raider nation radio how are you teddy good jt how you doing buddy i've been better but i'm hanging in there thanks for calling in teddy what do you got i you know what i really think with our uh, first round pick there's a lot of deep talents in the tackles mm-hmm. but we really need to get a game changer and what we need to do is we need to give up a third round pick uh, either a second or a first next year and move up to the number seven or eight spot and get Patrick Sertan. Dude's going to be a game changer for years, and we're not going to find many game changers in this draft. 
Well, that, that's given up a lot for a team that already spent equity on Damon Arnett and Trayvon Mullen. So basically you're getting rid of one of the Raiders' top cornerbacks to go get Sertain, and you, and you want to give up draft picks to do it? You know what? I honestly feel that the guy's a game changer. I think we could have Arnett in a rotation or possibly move into the slot. I love Arnett. I think he's got some, uh, you know, a lot of potential there. But I think it makes our corner room elite with this. And you got Trayvon now at the number two spot, and you got uh, Sertan as your number one. Well, well, I haven't heard anybody say that, my friend. If you get that right, I'll remember that. No doubt about that. But I think that's just too risky of a of a move. You love Arnett, and you're willing to just give up on him being a cover corner and throw him in the slot. He was a first-round pick last year. Hey, you know, there's a lot of injuries. I'm not saying he's not going to play, yeah. but you got a three-round rotation with Mullen, Arnett, and Sertan. That's a pretty strong cornerback room and a young one where we could be a lockdown for years. Yep, appreciate the call. Thank you. That's a bold prediction. I'll remember that one. That's a bold prediction. But to go trade up to get Patrick Sertain, the second, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, he's a really good player, and he won't be there for the Raiders at 17. But to go up there and trade and get him, you got to give up a lot. And then the Raiders have a bunch of young players in the secondary, all very young, which I don't know if Gus Bradley wants that. I think Gus Bradley wants a couple of veterans mixed in back there. One of the reasons why they brought in Carl Joseph is he's got veteran presence now and a guy who showed up better on his tape since he left the Raiders and is coming over from Cleveland. So rookies are great. And when you get a rookie that is a superstar rookie, which you should get if you have a top 17 pick, you should get a great player, great player at 17 who's a plug-and-play starter right out of the gate. After that, you know, you give Gus some guys to work with in the secondary later on in the draft. I'm all for that. But to trade up to get a corner with the first pick and give up drafts for years to come, that doesn't work with me. All right, let's keep it going. 702-365-9200. When we come back, Eddie Pascal from the digital team of the Raiders. Upon further review, his podcast, he's in the building where we'll be for the draft coming up. I'm very excited about this opportunity for all Raider fans to listen to the draft the right way on the flagship Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Getting fans in those stands are pretty important to us. We want to turn that stadium into a home field advantage. Uh, I can't speak for player safety, fan safety. That's for all the government officials and the NFL officials. All I know as somebody with a vested interest in getting out there in an exciting, filled arena, we can't friggin' wait. That place needs to rock, and it needs to be a home field advantage. Mike Mayock. As we jump back in, and Eddie Pascal kind enough to join us from the Raiders digital team inside the lab over there in Henderson. He's had a chance to talk to Mike Mayock. And, Eddie, good to talk to you again. Here we go. Draft on Thursday night, a big spot for the Raiders at 17. What's the vibe like around the organization that they have to hit this pick? This pick's got to be a plug-and-play starter to get the team rolling again. Yeah, I'm with you. Good to hear from you, JT. So, I mean, I think I was talking to someone the other day about this, and really what's, what's kind of stood out to me over the past couple of days, and really since we heard from Mike last week, is it really just does feel 
like the level of intensity, the level of focus, the level of, like you said, that understanding that whoever this guy is at 17 has to be someone you can plug and play week one and health permitting goes from week one to week 17 and contributes week in and week out. And so I think that there's a lot of excitement around this team. There's a lot of uh, optimism, but there's also a very keen sense of focus. It's time to get to work. And whoever this individual is, they need to be the right one at number 17 overall. Yeah, I think the pressure is on, but the pressure is a little bit off on the defensive line. And tell me if I'm wrong because of all the activity they had in the, in the secondary and especially up front at the defensive tackle position, shoring up with so many signings and bodies on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think the rest of the country realizes how active the Raiders were in free agency on the defensive side. Yeah, no doubt. I'd agree with you there. And I think because of that activity, because of a lot of these guys that came in over the past, gosh, what is it, a month, six weeks, whatever it is, uh, you're looking at Solomon Thomas and Unique Ngakwe and, and the rest of the crew, really. I think it, it has kind of given this team, at least on paper, a little flexibility of, of what to do at 17. You know, And I've been going through the mock draft just like everyone else does this time of year, right? And, and the consensus among the quote-unquote draft experts is no one can really figure out what the move is for the Raiders at 17. And personally, I don't think that's a bad thing. Keep the league guessing a little bit. And really, I mean, I've always come from the school of, like, pick the best guy on the board. When you're on the clock, look at the best guy, compare him to your board, and whoever is the number one guy that you have, go get him regardless of position. So I think you said, like you said, this team has invested heavily on this defensive line over the past month and a half. And because of that, it really does give you uh, give this team a chance to kind of flex and, and be very flexible over the next, gosh, what is it, 96 hours. Yes, Eddie Pascal joins us. What I find fascinating is that right tackle, they know that they're not going to get Quiddy. You know, I look at the I look at the depth of this and what they have here. Penny Sewell, who you know well, is an Oregon fan, and Rashawn Slater, I think, will be gone. Then it leads us to believe that if a right tackle or a tackle is called on Thursday night, and it's Darius Shaw, or Jenkins, or Vera Tucker, that's the player that the Raiders obviously did their most due diligence on because they better because one of those guys are going to be available and if the Raiders take them they got to be that plug-and-play starter and there's a couple of good ones I think there's three players maybe four at that position that the Raiders have to have their eye on on the offensive line do you see it that way yeah I, I agree with you absolutely and you know I always come from this kind of like a, like the old school approach of things where I'm the biggest believer in you win the game at the line of, at the line of scrimmage, right? So you build up your trenches on both sides of the football. You build up your offensive line and you build up your defensive line. And really everything else that you want to do kind of stems from those two groups. And this offensive line, while we have talked so much over the past couple months, you see about the different iterations of it and how it's going to look different in 2021. When I was talking to Mike Mayock last week, he really kind of brought up and put it, you know, very matter of factly. He goes, yeah. We're making some changes, but we feel good about those changes. And he was very logical in kind of explaining the reasoning behind those moves. And so now you look at right tackle, and I think I'm like a lot of folks, yourself included, where you look at this and say, hey, you feel really good about this offensive line. There is that kind of, I don't want to say glaring need at all, but there is that need on the right side. How do you address it? And so I think that if that's the route you go at 17, I would be over the moon. I think there's a handful of guys some of the fellows that you just mentioned a second ago, that would be those plug-and-play starters that make this offensive line even better, that give Josh Jacobs room to run, that give Derek Carr time to work back there. So for me, if we, if we go offensive linemen at 17, you will hear zero complaints from me, JT. I agree. I, I've changed my mind on that. Uh, you know, I'm a Micah Parsons guy. I'd like to see him, and I'd like to see the sure. Raiders trade up to get him. I'd like to see that to be the pick. But you're right about that. If it ends up it's right tackle, it makes sense. 
it's probably the safe play, but he's got to be good. He's got to be in there, and Tom Cable's got to say, I'll have this guy ready for the first game. There was a cover story today at the Las Vegas Review-Journal on the depth of the offensive line in the offseason with Nick Martin and Andre James and some of the players. You're in the building, but it's not the same as the old days where these guys are coming in and out of the building because of COVID protocol. But do you sense that what the Raiders have done now with the depth on that offensive line, that they can move some players around in case of an emergency and really have the depth if they grab that right tackle early. Yeah, absolutely. And look, flexibility and, and all that is the name of the game. And if we look back to 2020, I mean, I forget what the stat is. We've rattled it off a million times. But the Raiders' starting five offensive linemen barely played together at all a year ago. I think it was like two series or something like that, right? It's something un, you know unbelievable. And so a lot of that, you know, the fact that they were able to play so well, and I know that there were a handful of games, especially down the stretch, where you look at the big fellows up front and you're like, I wish this could have been a little better, this could have gone a little different. But overall, I think they played really well, and a lot of that is a credit to Tom Cable for getting these guys up to, you know, up to where they needed to be week in and week out. But going back and, and looking now at, at 2021, I think the lesson learned in 2020 is that you have to feel good, not only from one to five, JT, you have to feel good about your sixth offensive lineman, your seventh offensive lineman, your eighth offensive lineman. You have to feel, about, feel good about that group as a whole. And I think the Raiders do feel good about their group as a whole. And I would be surprised if there were not an addition or two, you know, by the time this weekend wraps up. But I think the fact that the core of it's good, that you feel good about, you've got Colton Miller on the left, you got Andre James, Richie Incognito is back. Denzel Good is back in the mix. The fact that you feel good about those guys, and now you're just going to kind of supplement with some new blood, some new talent. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that there are areas of this team that need to be improved, and every, you know, every group has to get better headed into this year. But in terms of my concern list, I would put the offensive line pretty low, especially if they can hit a home run at right tackle. Eddie Pascal, as you wrap it up inside the Raiders facility, check out all the work he does at Raiders.com. I really think the big pickup, other than Yannick Ngakwe, was Gus Bradley because the whole system is now changing to his strength and exactly like he, ha- like he wants to call a defense with the players he wants. And he's got to feel pretty good that Mayock and Gruden got him a bunch of players to mold and take a look at. Do you sense in training camp as we lead up to the preseason that there's just so many guys there and Bradley's going to have to make some really difficult decisions when it comes to cutdowns before the start of the preseason here because of all the bodies he has on the defensive line? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think training camp this year is going to be really, really interesting for a lot of reasons. But I think kind of at the top of that list is what you just said where how does Gus Bradley kind of put his imprint on this defense? And, and as you said, he's going to have, there's going to be a portion of camp where it's going to be just evaluation for him and his staff. And they're looking at, okay, well, how does this guy look in pads? How are things kind of, how is he learning our system? How is he kind of ingratiating himself into what we need him to do? So I think that there is going to be that, that, that phase of evaluation, that phase of learning, learning the personnel a little bit. But the fact that Gus has come in, he has come in with such an energy, and you've, we heard from Mike last week about that energy and about that passion and his excitement to be in silver and black, his excitement to be in Las Vegas. I mean, if you're a fan of the team, that has to fire you up. And it is no secret that you and I have talked about this a bunch, that the defense from 2020 to 2021 has to get better. If this team really wants to really make a legitimate push to the postseason to get back to the playoffs, that defense is not going to have to take a small step forward. They're going to have to take a tangible step forward in 2021. And if they are to do that, and I believe in my heart of hearts that they will do that, Gus Bradley is going to be the, the catalyst for making that happen. Hey, Eddie, it's interesting because the last couple of years, it's been a lot of time spent on Derek Carr in the offseason. This year was Deshaun Watson until his legal issues. 
Russell Wilson made the news because he, he picked the Raiders. He picked Las Vegas as one of his landing spots if they could make that move. Then there's always Aaron Rodgers talk in the background. Now Derek has another chance, another year with the Raiders. He's clearly the face of the franchise. He's going to have to do a lot of work like he continues to do outside the facility if that's a decision they're deciding to make, which it looks like. What about Derek coming into this draft? Because I don't think there's going to be a lot of offensive players given to him anymore. He's got great players, good offseason players came in, loses Aguilar. What's up next, in your opinion, for Derek Carr? Well, you know, we were talking a minute ago, and I said on my concerns was the offensive line is pretty low on that list. And I would say Derek Carr and how he plays is going to be very low at the bottom of that list. too. We have seen time and time again, JT, how good he is when he is right, when he is comfortable, when he knows what he's doing. And he has gotten better year after year after year with Coach Gruden. Now, I think there's a level of trust there. There is a level uh, of mutual understanding between those two. And look, Derek is going to do, when he gets his, gets his chance to shine, he's going to do exactly what we've seen him do. And, and so will he have maybe a few new shiny toys this year? Uh, you're, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't know exactly how much his personnel will look different between now and the end of the draft. And I'm sure there will be some guys that can come in and help him out. But like I said, Derek is the face of this franchise. Uh, on defense, obviously Gus Bradley is going to be the catalyst to making, those things ha- making that improvement happen. But on the f- offensive side of the football, that relationship between John Gruden and Derek Carr is going to be the catalyst for them continuing to play good football. And we've talked about this a million times. This offense was really, really good a year ago. And there yeah. were moments where, yes, we wanted it to be better, but overall they were really good. And I think that we're going to continue that positive momentum headed into 2021. Thanks, Eddie. See you Thursday. I always appreciate your time. Sounds good. Can't, can't wait to see you, JT. You got it. Eddie Pascal with the Raiders. Inside. The guy who's inside the building more than me and more than most and does a really good job. Uh, check out everything he's doing, plus the podcast, which is always up there upon further review. You should download that. If you're into podcasts and you like Raider podcasts, that's the one you have to have, along with ours, the game plan, and you're up to date with everything with the silver and black. All right, 702-365-9200. Like to get your phone calls in for the last segment. Top of the hour, $50 Grimaldi gift cards. If you pick the player, the Raiders draft in the first round. Got to be from Vegas. That's coming up as we welcome in Jeff Sherman, who joins us, VP of Risk Management over at the Westgate as we get ready for an unbelievable week in Vegas, especially with the draft. And, Jeff, good to talk to you again. I'll jump right in. Big picture on the NFL draft props. I'm sure it's going to be more unique this year than any year before. Tell us why. Yeah, well, we got up uh, more than we've done before, and we just got them up yesterday. We let some uh, information settle in and got up some numbers that we're comfortable with, but we put up 40 over-under draft positions by some players and then did a Raiders' first overall draft pick and included 29 players in the field. So we tried to be deep with that, and it is their first draft pick. So if they trade up or down, whatever the spot is, it's whoever that first pick is. It's interesting with the props with quarterbacks. How wild is that? Because we're still waiting on the Niners. Does it feel like the Niners, that's where the draft starts at number three if they go with Mac Jones or Trey Lance? Yeah, there's no doubt. The first two are pretty much accounted for, and then we'll see what happens at three. And uh, you know, they're they're so wishy-washy with the screens that they're throwing up there, too. So uh, I expect it to be Mac Jones, but uh, even someone like uh, Kyle Pitts could be in play. So we'll see how it transpires. Is there a prop on how far the la- the final quarterback in the five 
could drop because everybody's talking about five quarterbacks, but there are many more quarterbacks after those first five uh, get going. So in the first round, what's another unique quarterback prop? Well, we just kept it simple for doing uh, over-unders on the 40 uh, draft positions that we chose. Okay. And, and we, we did mostly position players outside of the quarterbacks because so many of the quarterbacks are accounted for. Uh, but someone like Jamar Chase at five and a half, he's the shortest one that we offer, and we've seen under money on him. But then we go through uh, some of the defensive players too and all the way up to about the 67th position. Jeff Sherman is our guest. So interesting. Micah Parsons, the linebacker. I mean, he's probably the biggest first linebacker off the board. Where do you have him? Well, we opened up higher than the market at 16 and a half, and we're currently at 15 and a half. And I've seen lower numbers out there just because we've read there could be some issues in play with him, and some teams might be looking at passing. And he's actually uh, the favorite for the Raiders now at 10 to 1 to be picked because we think that he could fall far enough down for them. I love that. So. That's the favorite for the Raider pick. Let's go to Penny Sewell, the offensive lineman. I have mock drafts that have him going as high as four, five, and then some dropping to eight or nine. Where do you have him? Uh, we have him at six and a half flat, and we've seen two-way on him, so there's a lot of questionability with that number. And then the uh, big one when it comes to the corners here, I think it's going to be really unique, Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn. Yeah, Patrick Sertain, we have a 10.5 under $1.80, and J.C. Horn, 12.5 under 40, and that one has seen over money, so we're at 12.5 flat. Uh, but those, like I mentioned, are getting interest, as are a lot of them. But some of them are we're moving the price, especially the shorter numbers, and then the, the players that have longer numbers out there in the 40s and 50s, we're actually moving the draft position more aggressively. Finally, one more, Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner with Alabama, coming after Jamar Chase, and where's Jalen Waddle with him? Yeah, Devontae Smith we have at 12.5, and he's now 12.5 over 20. And Jalen Waddle, we opened 11.5 under 20, and it's 11.5 under 210. So a lot of people thinking Waddle's going to go before uh, the 12th position. Jeff Sherman joins us from the Westgate. All right, let's get into the NBA and what's changed the last time I've spoke with you. You've seen Anthony Davis come back. He looks really healthy. He's playing over 30 minutes. And LeBron James ready to come back. What's changed with the number with the Lakers? Yeah, well, we've been keeping them steady at 3-1. to one. You know, there's no reason to go higher on them, even if they do end up in the play-in game, just because they're getting public support. So we have Brooklyn at 5-2, to two, the Lakers at 3-1. to one. The other teams behind them have been seeing some changes, with the Clippers down to 9-2, to two, uh, with Utah kind of fading a little bit, even though they're still holding on to the one position in the West, but we've eased them out to 9-1. to one. Uh, Interestingly enough, today, we took a $2,500 wager on the Atlanta Hawks to win the title at 200-1. to one. And that would win 500000 if they did. So Atlanta moved from 200 to 1 down to 100 to 1 today. I think your money's pretty safe there, just my opinion. I want to move <laughs> on uh, quickly. What about the Suns? Watch the Suns the other night. Chris Paul at the Garden and the way they're playing. And he's an MVP candidate, though. I, I just have a feeling that the Suns are a team that everybody's not looking at deeply. I, when I watch them play, they can do everything. Yeah, uh, they probably have the most attractive price right now of the contenders where you can find them at 20 to 1. And then there's a drop off after them up to 50 on Dallas and Portland. So finding Phoenix at 20, where the teams ahead of them, Philadelphia and Milwaukee, are at 10 to 1. So they, they have a nice price relative to their position as a number two seed in the West right now. Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate. The Westgate's got a big black hole party Friday, Saturday. I'll be down there. Going to be great crowds for all the gaming action, all the food. The hotel, everything that's happening down at the Westgate, you don't want to miss it with the black hole coming up. Uh, what about my Yankees? Nine and thirteen, four and a half out, a four and seven at home. As the number changed vastly on the Yankees, because eventually I expect them to get it right. 
Yeah, and, and as does the betting public, you know, we reached as high as 12 to 1 on the Yankees for the World Series the past few days, but the public's played them and back down to 8 to 1. So, along with the Dodgers at 2 to 1, those are the only two teams in single digits. But uh, we couldn't get too high until the public got involved and thinks that they'll rebound this year. I'm sure you got a lot of action on that four game series with the Dodgers and the Padres. What was that like at the Superbook? That was fantastic, especially the interesting comeback that happened on Sunday night and uh, the wild swing there. So, uh, it's been a great, great series. Every game that they've played so far in the two series, uh, this early part of the season. There's many more games that had to come between these two teams. Uh, Jeff Sherman, as we wrap it up, tell us what's going on with golf now. As the tour gets really interesting, coming off last weekend, what did you see there? What impressed you in that team format as we move forward? <laughs> well, the team one isn't taken too seriously by us mm. looking at, or even the betters. Uh, it handles about one tenth what we normally write on a weekly event. Uh, and you don't really take too much away from that. Now they return to normal golf this week with the Valspar Championship in Florida. Uh, and then they get going towards the PGA Championship, which is a, fr- a few weeks away. So we don't put too much stock in last week. And uh, we got Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, the favorites this week down in uh, Palm Harbor, Florida. So it- it's good from my perspective to see the stroke play return. You know, there's only two tournaments that you see throughout the season of a different format uh, with the-, the match play and we don't see too much betting handle on that. And then this team event. And the team event is just something to do differently, but it really doesn't translate at the betting window. Well, Jeff, since I last talked to you, the Golden Knights, I don't think have lost. Uh, that's an unbelievable run that they've been on. Uh, let's talk about where the Golden Knights stand here in Vegas when you take a look at their future odds. And what, who, who's the team right behind them here? How have you reset this market? Well, we got the Knights at 6-1, to one, and it's been steady with them at 6-1, to one, and we've okay. been seeing a lot of betting support showing up for them. But Colorado remains the favorite at 9-2. to two. Uh, The Maple Leafs are also 6-1, to one, as they're uh, you know expected to come out of the, the Canadian division. Tampa's at 8-1, to one, and uh, we're really looking forward to the, uh, the Knights-Avalanche game tomorrow. It's such a big game for the division. And on the overnight line, we open the uh, Knights minus 115, Avalanche plus 105. So we deal a 10-cent hockey line here. And uh, it should be a, a great handled game. All right, Jeff. So you got the sharpest book in town for those who are betting NFL props coming into the draft. Give me the requirements when you have to get these in. Obviously, we have Thursday, Friday, and then weekend action. How does this play out? Yeah, per gaming regulations, we have to close these at close of business tomorrow night, the night before Ooh. the draft. So if you want to bet them, you have to make sure and do it by the day before, or else you're not going to find any draft props in the state of Nevada. Interesting. I didn't know that. So you can't get up the day of, morning of, do some homework because it's on later in the day. It's got to be done the day before. The day before. Close of business the day before for every regulated book in Nevada. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Talk to you next week. Thank you. All right. Thanks, JT. Jeff Sherman. If you're going to bet, I didn't know that. That's good. If you're betting uh, NFL props for the draft. Remember, we had Joe Fortenbaugh on from ESPN a week ago, and he said that this is the best opportunity to make money. Thinks if you really know your NFL, you know the draft, you got an idea, go bet the props. Go to the Superbook and bet the props. And you'll probably have a better chance of winning than betting a bunch of NBA games or hockey games. Do whatever you want to do. But a couple of guys have told me that. The sharp play is to go bet these NFL props when it comes to the NFL draft. When a quarterback drops, when a player drops, and they have individual odds, he said on, what, 40 players? So you can go down there and take a look at what they have, especially with the quarterbacks here. If you're a fan of Trey Lance and you think he's going to go sooner than later, if you think Justin Fields is going to drop, maybe you take the over on that, but a lot of fun. So I'll be down at the Westgate at some point this weekend. 
is, man, do we have a lot going on. We have so many promotions coming out of Lotus Broadcasting here in association with the Raiders and our partners here on the radio and everything we're doing here. So there's a lot going on. You're going to be hearing me talk about this all day tomorrow, where the action's going to be, where you can be, and wherever you're going to be watching these games, uh, where you're going to be watching the games or the draft. If you're uh, fortunate enough to be inside Allegiant Stadium, if you're one of those sweet members who are there, have a great time. If you're going to be out for that Modelo pool party over at the M, that could be great. Or the Westgate, going to have a lot of friends as the Black Hole's putting on their party and a lot of other establishments in town here who are not official partners of the show are going to be throwing parties, but we want to make sure we take care of our official partners, including Sam and Ash, our personal injury attorneys who care about their clients getting better settlements. Sam and Ash are original partners of mine on Raider Nation Radio, and I trust them and continue to be impressed by their passion for their clients. Sam and Ash are available to answer your questions 24-7. So if you get into an accident, call Sam and Ash, the ones I trust, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. Hammered left center field, and Winker got all of it. Back to the wall and gone. Two-run shot by Jesse Winker, and the Reds have taken a 5-3 lead. Opposite field juice from the Reds' two-hole hitter. Dodgers have lost two in a row. That's Reds Radio on the call. JT back with you as we wrap it up. You know, baseball's getting interesting. You know, we try to talk baseball here on the show because Vegas is a baseball town. Bryce Harper... You look at Chris Bryant, the players, Greg Maddox, who live in town. A lot of baseball players live in Vegas. And in Vegas, we have a vibrant little league, UNLV baseball, college baseball, high school baseball. is huge. But, you know, doing a national show every night after this one, I could tell you that baseball fans now are very finicky and they're very angry with the sport. The other day, Madison Bumgarner, the former Giants legend now with the Diamondbacks, pitched a seven-inning no-hitter. Seven-inning no-hitter, and fans could care less because it's not a no-hitter. Seven innings is not the end of a baseball game. Baseball did that because they were scared about the ramifications of the coronavirus, and they don't believe that baseball players would be available during COVID-19 to play double-headers of nine innings. It was ridiculous for them to even come up with that. The last two innings of a baseball game is the most important. That's when your pitcher gets tired and your closer comes in or you use your mineral leaf, or you get a chance to get your best player up one more time. So for them to end games in the seventh inning drive me absolutely crazy. We saw Shote Otani, the pitcher of the Angels, he went into the game last night, first time in 100 years in baseball, 100 years since Babe Ruth, that a player co-leading the league in home runs was starting on the mound as a pitcher. That is an exciting story to me. The other exciting stories in baseball so far, again, I said the Yankees are in the tank. Bobby's Red Sox got a three-game lead in the American League East. The Royals quietly have won five in a row. They have a two-game lead over the White Sox. And the A's, who were so hot, winning nine out of their last ten, they're 15-8 and eight and have a two-game lead over the Mariners, who are a very good team. The Mets are 9-8. and eight. They have the lead over the Phillies in the National League East. The Brewers are on top of the Central. And out west, it's the Dodgers, Giants, and the Padres. Nobody's talking about the Giants, 
who are won seven of the last ten. The Dodgers have lost six out of their last ten. So I like the way the Giants are playing, especially Buster Posey, who's having a good comeback year. Swing, there's a high drive to center. Daza going back, still going back, all the way back to the wall. Adios, Pelota! It would not come down. Just to the right of the 391 marker and out of here with plenty to spare. The fifth home run of the year for Buster Posey. That's pretty impressive whenever you can hear John Miller. And then finally, I wanted to congratulate Dana White. I wanted to wrap up the show and congratulate Dana White for putting on that UFC event in Florida in front of a sold-out house. There is no way sports is going to move forward without leadership, and Dana White's probably the biggest leader in all of sports. I saw him at the grand opening of Virgin Hotels, spent a few moments together with my wife, and I told him he's had the most impact on sports than anyone throughout coronavirus. I mean anyone. I'm talking individual athletes. Dana White decided to go where they'd let him do business. And it's circling back, and it's coming to Vegas after it goes to Houston, and everybody should embrace Dana White because he's a guy who wants to get butts in seats. He wants to spur the economy and get it going and entertain the masses. So for Dana White, I'm always supporting what he's doing. I'm more of a boxing guy than I am an MMA guy, and and UFC does such a better job than boxing of getting their fighters to fight, and that was pretty special. And how about this for Conor McGregor? Do you hear the breaking news today? Conor McGregor has just sold the majority of the whiskey brand Proper Number 12 to Proximo Spirits for $600 million. Conor McGregor has sold the majority of his whiskey brand Proper Number 12 for $600 million. I cannot believe it. Proximo Spirits, the company that owns Jose Cuervo and other alcohol brands, has acquired the majority break. Man, if you got into the liquor business 10, 15 years ago to buy and hold with beer, craft beer, and some of these spirits, man, did you make money. Conor McGregor laughing all the way to the bank. If I was him, I'd never fight again. Never put my life on the line and just count all that proper number 12 Irish whiskey money. Great job by Bobby today. Thanks for getting me on the radio. It's an interesting last 24 hours for me. We got big shows here the rest of the week as we lead you to the draft and our coverage coming up on Thursday. Vinny Bonsignor will take over at 4 o'clock. Vinny's got a great cover story at the Las Vegas Review-Journal today. Depth up front, one reason the Raiders see defensive gains. Really good column on the Raiders' defense. Have a great day, everybody. Catch my show tonight on Sirius XM 82, Mad Dog, 7 to 10 Pacific. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.